Welcome to episode five of Better with Paul. Right at the top, I just want to say thank you, thank you, thank you. You know, we're five episodes in, and right now I'm looking at Chartable, which charts the top podcasts all over the world. And we are top 100 in the US, in Germany, in Austria, in South Africa. But on top of that, we're top 20 in the UK, in Ghana, in Jamaica, in Barbados, in Bermuda. I mean, just to look at how the podcast has been resonating all over the world is is just one of these where it's just, um, I just feel humbled, I feel honored. In particular, we're elevating voices that quite honestly don't get the elevation that I believe they deserve. These are incredible stories that we're unpacking, and I'm just appreciative that you find the value in them. And the party continues, because this episode, and I I don't want to turn into one of these guys that like hypes up every episode, you know, like it's better than the last, but I just want to say that this episode is pure fire. I literally just ended a session with Tiffany, the budgenista, Aliche. Now, Tiffany, let me let me just say this. This is this is all I need to give give you right on Tiffany, is that she went from three hundred, I think it was three hundred thousand in debt, no job, thirty years old, living in her parents' house, sleeping in the same bed that she grew up in. Right, that was two thousand eight. That was the last recession. You fast forward to this recession, she just finished her first seven-figure month. She will do over $10 million in sales this year. She owns five businesses. She has no debt. She, I mean, her entire life has changed. And what she says is the common theme around the success that she's had in her life is she chose herself. This is a very powerful story of someone who went from, you know, the depths of hell to a place of uh, a phenomenal success. And I can't wait for you to listen to it. But before you listen, I want to make sure you hit pause and go to paulcbrunson.com backslash better, B-E-T-T-E-E-R. Get on this newsletter list. I have started sending out updates where I basically unpack the lessons that I learn from each of these episodes. So I want you to uh, to be part of that. But let's make it happen. Are you ready to hear the phenomenal, amazing, incredible story of Tiffany, the budgenista, Aliche? Well then, let's make it happen. This is Better With Paul, y'all. <laughs> But I've, I've, but I've wanted to do this for quite some time because I have watched what I call the evolution of you. Oh, thank you. For, for real. Like, I think I, re- I remember, I'll put it in the, on the come up, mm-hmm. struggling a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I still feel like that now. I'm like, I don't, I feel like there's so much still ahead, you know? 
that um and like even now we're going through the transition. I always remind myself, Tiffany, it always looks like this when you bump up because we're going through like a hard transition now because we're really going to the next level. And I can feel like they, some of the things that are before me. So I say hard transition is just challenging because I'm just like, okay, I've never been here before. How do you prepare for this? You know, we just hit our first seven figure month and we're eight figures now officially a year. And it's like, well, how do you man, you know, like the way we managed before is not the same way you manage now. For the first time, I actually brought in a business coach to really like help walk through like, you know, what next steps look like. There's a potential show pending for me. I just got my first book. It's just so much. And then still, I got to be like to my husband, did you eat dinner? What do you want? You know? So it's like, ah, how do you mean? Right. So or maybe, or maybe, see, here's a question. Does he turn to you and say, hey, did, did you eat tonight? Yeah, no, he does. That's one thing I have to say. I couldn't have married somebody differently because that's exactly how it is. I never feel guilty about not having like a fresh cooked meal. I don't never feel guilty if I don't get to the laundry. And he's just not that kind of guy. We, I, we got married later on and like we were, we were both 37. So he was like, well, before you came, uh, I cooked myself and I made, did my own laundry. I'm, a, I'm capable. Um, but I dated guys before who it was very traditional where it was like, you know, this is my expectation. You could do this cute little thing you're doing on the side. And I'm like, okay, so that's not going to work. Yeah, yeah. Just even yesterday, my mom was telling me because my, my husband's really handy. He's a super. And um, he went to my parents' house to like fix some sink or something. And she was like, you chose the right one. Yeah. <laughs> you know, but it, it wasn't like that at first because he's African-American, you know, we're Nigerian. So at first they're like, oh, we want you to marry Nigerian, a doctor, a lawyer, engineer. And he's none of those things. But now they're like, oh, I that see now. Good. Yeah. So if I would have met a Nigerian doctor, you, I would not be here right now. I'd oh, like, Yes. I'm like, Paul, my husband said I can't do it. So I'll... <laughs> no, that's not me. <laughs> but see, here's the thing, right? I am, and, and, and I will say this is, so the last couple of days, I've been stalking you. <laughs> I'm just going to keep it real. I, I've been stalking you because I, I feel like I, I know the general story because mm-hmm. I remember you from quote unquote back in the day. I feel like we're, we're, we're all like getting older together. Yes. Why getting older together, right? Uh-huh. But I did what I consider to be the same level of stalking that I would do for anyone that I'm, I'm going to have a discussion with. Uh-huh. What I found really interesting about what I found and didn't find about you online uh-huh. is that first, there are, you have more videos on YouTube than anyone I've ever seen in my life. <laughs> like, really? For real. Like, I'm, you have gotten, it, it, it shows why you're so successful. Because I'm telling you, there are not hundreds, there are thousands of video clips and full videos of you. TV segments, you know, you doing big podcasts, small podcasts, big interviews, small interviews. You do like, you have thousands of videos wow. online, thousands. But, but young lady, <laughs> I rarely saw videos about you breaking down your business mm-hmm. or your life. Mm-hmm. It's more so you giving advice to mm-hmm. others, right? So I want us to break down the business. Okay. Of I want to break down even the personal life as well, because I think that plays a strong role in everything mm-hmm. that. All right. So now you just said that things are well right now. Things yes. are good. Business wise, things are good. Yes. And things are excellent. Well, yes. 
things are both excellent and breaking because we have reached the point of what our old systems could manage us at this size. And now that we have grown exponentially, COVID has actually been amazing for business that it's like, oh, this old husk no longer holds, you know, the fruit that we were putting in it. Now we have to build a new one. And honestly, none of us have been there before. So we're building as we're growing. Uh, but I'm really proud of myself and the team because they're just adapting to it wonderfully. Yeah. Okay. So, so then just give us a snapshot of the business. Revenue, if you go as, as detailed as possible, revenue, mm-hmm. and also the products, mm-hmm. and also the team. All right. So I, I have several businesses. The core beginning business, the Budget Mista, that's what I started first. I registered it in 2008, but didn't do anything with it until 2010. So that's the business of Tiffany. So that's the speaking engagements. That's the books. That is spokesperson work, curriculum writing. So literally, I generate the income for the business, although that's going to change. But right now, that is the business of Tiffany. And from that business of Tiffany, all the other businesses has businesses have spawned. So I believe last year, the budget needs to made, I want to say maybe $600,000 because I don't do that much with a budget needs to. So fairly, so it was $600,000. That's like, like I said, spokesperson work. Um, speaking engagements. I, you know, I command up to thirty thousand dollars per um, keynote. Good. Book, books. Good. Thank you. 30, yeah. Mm-hmm. So book sales. I have five or six books out on Amazon, and they just sell regularly. Um, I'm trying to think like what also generated like a ton of money last. Well, the majority of the money last year. So yeah, about, like uh, influencer work. Is that um, yes? But I keep that. I keep that to a minimum on purpose. So I can be in alignment with what I think is right to do. So if you work with certain brands, like when, when civil unrest, like sparked up, you know, in the last few months, I was able to say what I wanted, how I wanted, when I wanted, because there was no brand that I had to be like, oh, but what is such and such going to say? I don't care what such and such is going to say. Right. And quite honestly, they were in my inbox even more so, which I told quite all of them that I'm not your black band. They do right what's right within and you won't have to come get me. So now. Um, so right. I keep spokesperson work typically to under 10, 15% of like the budget needs income on purpose. But there's also like ad stuff. Like I have a blog. Um, so that's the core business. And that business started, I guess, officially, unofficially 2010. Then 2015, 2016, I started the Live Richer Academy. So the budget needs that I am the sole owner of the Live Richer Academy. I have a business partner. And okay. he is my CMO as well. He's a marketing genius. So we started working together like 2015. Um, he was kind of on my wish list of, I knew how to market organically, but I didn't know how to market, you know, like I didn't know how to technically market on, you know, using uh, digital marketing and things like that. And he did. And so I remember I was looking into that space and who I could partner with. And I just kept seeing him. His name is Jabril Agoro. His name is oh, I know Jabril. Yeah. I mean- I know of Jabril. Yeah, yes, yeah. everybody knows of Jabril. <laughs> he's like top, top five, top 10 digital marketers in the world. Amazing. Really? So, mm-hmm, he's oh, amazing. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Hold on for a second. I didn't know this about Jabril. Yeah. I just, what is it, Passport Heavy? Yes. Mm-hmm. He keeps yeah. it on low, low. No, some of your, some of your fave digital marketers, most successful digital marketers Jabril has trained. Really? Mm-hmm. He keeps it on low, low. Okay. Yeah. And then the Nigerian connection yes. once again. So yeah. I met him through a travel group. And I remember 
I was struck because at the time I was in like my early thirties and he was in his like uh, mid to early twenties and he posted in this travel group, no madness. My friend Avita Robinson has this. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's my girl. Yeah. I know all the, I, you know, I know all the best black and brightest. Okay. <laughs> um, and uh, <laughs> so he had posted in the travel group saying, looking for an intern, I will pay for you to fly anywhere in the world to intern with me. And I just remember thinking, who is this kid that can afford to do that? And so I started just following him on social. And then I was like, oh, so I saw the travel stuff. But really, I started to realize, oh, he does digital marketing. So I started taking his classes. And then, you know, I like had him on like my my visual, my my virtual um, vision board, like in my head. Like if I could work with somebody on this marketing piece, it would be Jabril. And then um, he, which I didn't know, started studying my business and um, hit me up one day. was like, I'm going to be in New York for a nomadness event. And I said, oh, I'm not going to be there. I'm going to be in Chicago. I'm speaking at an event. He said, I'll stay an extra day. So I was like, is he trying to holler? Because I'm good. But if you try to work together, like, what is this? <laughs> You try to work together. Yeah, yeah, you, <laughs> you never know. I mean. But, so, so just so I know. So this is 2010, right? No, this is, uh, this is when I met Jabril. It was around uh, 2014, 2015. 2014, 2015. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. By 2014, 2015. I was already you, in business. You're already in business. You're already moving. Yep. And actually, I want to go back and unpack it, but you met him and then you built together. You two co-founded. Yes, a Liv- second company, the Live Richer Academy. Mm-hmm. It got you. So then Live Richer Academy, that must be, you must, y'all must be doing. Yes. So that's where we had, that's, that's the eight figure a year business where we have, we just hit our first seven figure month in April, 2020. And our reoccurring income is like mid 800,000. Mm-hmm. You, I, I didn't know Jabril was out here living that heavy. <laughs> he likes to lay low. He's gonna be like, "Word, Tiffany, that's what we doing. That's what we doing, Jabril." <laughs> after this, I'm gonna text him. Okay, Jabril, I see you. I see you. I see you. But I love this. Okay, so that is the Live Richer Academy, right? Where figures doing that. We've got the Budgetista last yeah. year, hundred thousand doing that. Mm-hmm. Other, do you have other businesses that I you're do. involved? So then. Okay. What was happening is that we were getting, there's certain deals that like budgetista deals. And then there are certain deals that were, it was a little murky. And so I said, okay, Jabril, this seems like a budgetista deal, but it requires ad, 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 um, and marketing spend and requires that expertise. So what if we create a third company? Well, my third, his second with me, literally, we just called it, it's TJM, um, S it's just Tiffany Jabril Marketing Solutions. This is just, I know, we just kept it simple because literally it's for these brands that come to us and say, hey, Tiffany, we want to work with you in what seems to be like a spokesperson-esque way, but it's not organic. They're wanting us to push, you know, this product aggressively. So then that's when I brought in Jabril for that. So if someone comes to me and says, post an IG video, you know, because you love our bank account, great, budget Nista. If someone says, here's a link, drive traffic, you know, Got to it. this link, then it's like, okay, now this is TJMS. So we started that. Mm-hmm. So that's almost like a digital marketing agency. That you yes, are. but just literally like an internal one. We don't have any other clients. We are, we're the only clients. Uh, not yet. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, we don't have clients. <laughs> I don't want it. I'm like, I don't want, I don't want. I see where you're going. Uh, so that, so this is now a third business. Yes. That's generating revenue, right? Yes. You have fourth business. Yes. So, because, you know, I can't be busy enough, 
Um, well, this one is kind of like a lighter lift. So I have a podcast called Brown Ambition with my friend Mandy. Um, it's five years old and like we just rock out. And so we decided that this should be in a, a business as well because you just want, you just don't never know where things are going to grow to. And so we created, you know, an LLC for Brown Ambition. And so that is like, but that's not a business I push heavily. To me, that's more of a passion project that we enjoy. And it does make a little bit, but really like nothing, nothing extraordinary. Gotcha. Gotcha. But it's profitable. It sounds like. Yes. No, it is profitable. And I feel like, you know, what's so crazy about Brown Ambition, which is so strange to me. We have like, we don't have a huge audience, but we've got a nice tight core audience. When I tell you people will be like, um, I'll get an email. Hi, Tiffany. My name is such and such. This literally happened just last week. This is Wall Street Journal, New York Times, HBO. I, you know, listening to your podcast, listen, like the level of people that I'm like, you listen to Brown Ambition, not to say it's not a dope podcast, but it's almost like this industry podcast. I I can't explain just how many amazing people, CNBC, listen to your podcast. And I would love Washington Post. This is just all within the last month. Listen to your podcast. And, and so, yeah, so Brown Ambition, yeah, it's amazing. (laughs) All right. Now, Now you just said something that actually blew me away, but. I'm gonna come back to it. Okay. But do we have a fifth business? Yes, and final for now. <laughs> oh man. Okay. Here's with it. What's the fifth? So the fifth business. So I actually wrote my first children's book. And so for those who don't know me, I was actually a preschool teacher for ten years. So I've only ever had two jobs: preschool teacher and budgetista. <laughs> so in the last recession, the 2008-2009 recession, I was a preschool teacher and loving it. Um, but my school lost its funding. And so I lost my job. And, um, but I always thought when I was teaching preschool, I always thought it was weird that there were no financial education books because the kids would ask me about money in a way like, Miss Tiffany, can you buy me this? Miss Tiffany, can you, you know? So once children start to say, buy me, not just give me or can I have, then they've already made the connection between things and money. And I thought, why are there not enough age appropriate books that make that connection? So. I wrote this book called Happy Birthday, Molly Moore. I'd already written it kind of in my head. It was a story I would tell the kids when I was in my 20s teaching, but I'd never put it to paper. And so it took a long time. So my mentee always tells me, um, Tiffany, no, you have like the patience of Job, you know, because yeah. I will sit on a thing. Like I sat on that thing until it was right for 15 years. I was like, mm, no, mm, no, mm, no. The idea. You sat on the idea. Wow. Yeah, yeah, because I had it, but I was like, So like uh, the first 10 years, it was just like the idea in my head. And then five years in looking for the right illustrator, like, does it feel right? Does it look right? Does it feel right? Does it look right? So um, what I learned about myself through my business coach now, he said, Tiffany, one of your key and core drivers is quality. So if it's not right, I don't care. Like, I don't care. I don't care if it costs more money. I don't care if I lose money on it. If it ain't right, I don't want it. And so... So now, so it took forever to find the right illustrator to get the right book. But I'm glad for that because now this book is beautiful. And already, because I waited, because I waited, it was to to lose right. We did a Kickstarter in February, March of this year. And it's been only like, what, two and a half, three months? We've already sold 10,000 books. What? Mm -hmm. People don't say 10, they don't sell 10,000 books in a lifetime. And you haven't even seen me go heavy marketing that book. The average number of books sold is 250 copies. Mm. That's the average number that a book will sell in its lifetime. Yep. You just said you've done 10,000 in- The first two and a half, three months. Two and three months. Mm-hmm. 
All right. All right. All right. All right. Hold on. All right. All right. So we've, we've got a, a book business. Yeah. Well, yeah. I, I, I wanted to make a, a children's media business. That's what Molly Moore's going to be. Mm -hmm. Oh, wow. Okay. A children's media business. Mm -hmm. All right. Children's media business. We also have a, what I'm calling it is a digital marketing agency. That's <laughs> okay. right. Internal products, but I think soon people are going to be signing up for, for this. Right? So we've got that. We have, uh, what else? We, we have Literature Academy, mm -hmm. the big one, right? Mm -hmm. uh, we have Budgetista, mm -hmm. which is big, which is very big. Mm -hmm. uh, but then- We have Brown Ambition. Exactly. I want to get to this, right? <laughs> I didn't forget that. I didn't forget that. Because you said something, and I want to connect it to something else you said, and then I want us to unpack it, right? You said, this, the podcast is doing well. It's not extraordinary, right? Aww. Revenue. You said revenue. It was yes. like, it's extraordinary. Okay. Now, isn't it interesting how the word extraordinary is relative? Yeah. Because you said that you were a teacher. And if I recall correctly, when you were a teacher, you were making about what, 39K? Was mm -hmm. it? Yeah, that's when I started that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Now, when you started as a teacher, how many years ago was that? Um, I started teaching, I was 22. So it's like, what? I'm 40 now. Um, what, 28 years ago? Yeah, Not right, even. 18. Yeah, 18. I'm like, I <laughs> so, so, so now, at that time, though, 39K, that must have been extraordinary, though. Well, that, that was a lot to you. Yes, yes, yeah. and no, because I turned down a job for 50,000, but I was like, I could make 39 work. <laughs> okay, so so let's, let's start at that point. Mm -hmm. Because you mentioned that you were a teacher, and I think that is a key part to your story that not a lot of people know. Yeah. So, so just walk us through that. So you start as a teacher, you're what, a kindergarten teacher? Preschool. Preschool teacher. Mm -hmm. You really need to have patience. Yes. <laughs> and you have to be a really good teacher. Um, if I could trace all the things that I do now back to one pivotal choice, it was to choose to teach, but even more so to choose to teach preschool. Because you have to take this little person from a place of no knowledge to knowledge. So just imagine, like I have a niece and nephew, uh, two nieces and a nephew, and Amelia, they live down the street um, from me, and she's three, right? But I remember when she was two and I was trying to teach her her colors. And I said, Amelia, this is red like an apple. And she said, Auntie, what's an apple? So you literally have to go back to the back, to the back, you know, like what's an apple? Now I'm like, okay, great. Uh, how do I explain this? So it taught me how to truly teach, not just how to disseminate information, not just how to share, but how to teach. To teach is to transform. Mm -hmm. And so because I did that, we all know, like I'm sure we've all heard of the 10,000 hour rule, you know, and, you know, meaning that, you know, after 10,000 hours of doing something that you have a natural skill at or a natural talent for, you become an expert in that thing. You know, you've reached mastery level. Right. And so this is Malcolm Gladwell, one of my favorite authors. Um, this is what this is one of his uh, rules that he shared. And so 10,000 hours typically equates to about 10 years. Like Serena Williams been playing tennis. Um, since she was six, once she turned 16, I think she won her first Grand Slam, right? right. 10 years. And so for right. me, I taught preschool for 10 years. So 10 years of creating transformations in one of the hardest demographic of people, little ones who sometimes could care less, who sometimes, you know, they have no real self-control. They don't right. have autonomy over their lives. So 
learning how to teach and transform, it was the best choice I made because it wasn't an easy choice. I went to school for business. I didn't know what I wanted to be like most 17, 18, 19 year olds. And so, so I was like, I'll just choose business because I feel like you can get any job after I graduate. Um, I got my, my, um, with a concentration in marketing. And then my last year I worked at the childcare center on campus because I wanted to make extra money. And I remember being terrified of graduating because I had an internship that I absolutely hated. It was in corporate, it was corporate shop, right? So if you guys are from the Northeast, ShopRite's like a huge chain of uh, big supermarkets. Oh, and I, right. Yes. And I just remember being so miserable every summer. And I just remember thinking like the adults here are so miserable because I, here I am like, hey, uh, no, none of that here. Okay. And I just remember thinking, I don't want to work here. And they gave me an offer after I graduated of $50,000. Now that was big money to me. Like, oh. And that was the first time I had to make like a real adult decision. Do I take this $50,000 offer or do I do something that I secretly wanted to do, but didn't want to tell my Nigerian parents, which is to teach. And I remember the secretary of the CEO, the CEO, his name was Dean. And the secretary was like my work mom. It was an older black woman. And she pulled me into her office. She said, baby, come in here. And I was like, hi, Miss Barbara. She said, I heard they made you an offer. I was like, mm-hmm. She was like, baby, if you take the offer, you a goddamn fool. I said, excuse me? She said, if you take that offer, you are a beep fool. <laughs> and I was like, Miss Barbara never spoke to me like that before. Because here I am, like 19, 20. I was like, I don't understand. <laughs> and she was like, look at, do you see any African-American executives at this company? Do you see anybody at mid-level? Do you see? And so I just remember thinking like, well, one, I was already miserable there anyway. But I especially was like, she's right. There was one guy that was mid-level and they had demoted him. And she said, exactly. And so I thought to myself, I already don't want to work here. And second of all, I don't see any upward mobility here. Right. But, so, but I know your mama and pops, I'm, that's what they wanted you to yes, do. Take that job. And then they wanted me to go to law school. You know, like that was the plan. You take this job, make some money, go to law school. And I was like, uh, I don't want that. Um, and I secretly wanted to be a teacher. And I remember doing my research to figure out what did I have to do to become a teacher. And because I had my degree, I could only teach in preschool. You had to go back and be certified as an actual teacher to teach any older grades. So I said, okay, mm -hmm, I'll do preschool for this nine months to a year. And then I went back to school to get my certification. So preschool was supposed to be a holding place for me. Got you. But But I ended up going and what? Because I am wild. Like, so I was like, oh, these are my people, you know, (laughs) the three and four year olds. Oh, it was, I I fell in love with it. It seems like you came alive, you know, like, you know, Howard Thurman, you know, he'd always talk about how it's not about finding a thing. It's about finding the thing that makes you feel like you've come alive. Right. And I feel like that was, especially because you point back to that as, as the big transition point in your life, you came alive. Mm-hmm. Right. You now you come alive, you're teaching, you're developing skills, obviously. You're making some money. Mm-hmm. You know, some almost extraordinary money. <laughs> so then how do we get from that point to what I consider to be, you know, probably one of the lowest points of your life, right? Mm-hmm. Well, what happened was so I grew up learning about financial education in my home. My father, he was a CFO of a small nonprofit. 
and an accountant. And he had two degrees in finance. He's, he had a finance degree and I think his bachelor's degree was finance. And then his, his master's, his MBA is in economics. So we grew up, <laughs> plus we're Nigerian. So it's already compounded. And so my mother, who's a nurse, between the two of them, my dad would literally sit us down. I'm one of five girls, would sit us down and have like actual financial lessons. And my mom would teach us like in real time, like, let's go food shopping. Let's go buy school clothes. Let's go get your hair done. And I would watch and she would teach us like, okay, when we go school shopping, you know, this is what the budget is. This is how much each thing can cost. So I got like the academic side and the real like application at home. So up until I would say 26, 27, I call myself financially perfect, you know, so much so that I bought a condo when I was, uh, I I saved up, I used to live off half my income, half my $39,000 income. And I'd saved up in about two and a half, three years, I saved up $40,000 by the time I was 25. And I bought a condo. Mm -hmm. I was a real financial nerd. Like I loved all things finance. And because I just, I knew because it was even then at 21, I remember having to make a decision like, okay, if you're going to do this teaching thing, but you don't want to be broke, then right. that means you're going to have to get good at money. Mm-hmm. That's what it's going to be, Tiffany. You're not going to have all this extra. And so I really dedicated myself to learning how to master my money, building upon what I'd already learned at home. And so I bought my condo at 25. Things were looking good. Went back to school at the urging of my parents to get my master's in education. They were like, you need to be a principal because, you know. <laughs> and so, but I'm glad I did. I got my master's in education. So now all of a sudden I went from no debt really, because I'd paid off my undergraduate, like the little bit of loans I did have left because I, I, I commuted to school. And so now I went from no debt to having a mortgage, but no biggie. I could afford it. Then now I have student loan debt and I was like, ah, no biggie. I can afford it. Maybe by then I was making $50,000 a year as a teacher. And then um, I said, well, now I really want to learn how to invest. So I had met a friend of mine years ago at like, a, I think I went to like, it was like spring break. And I'd met a friend there and we stayed friends for six years, like talking like once a month, but he would always tell me about his businesses and. and he, so, yeah. For six years. Was he just. He was just a friend. No, he, he was. He was because I was okay. a little too slick for me. I like a little nerd in my dude. Okay. <laughs> but, you know, but I was like, oh, snap. He, he's he got like, you know, like super nice car, apartment in New York. So back then, I, you know, you when in your 20s, you sometimes think that what things look like they actually are. So I assumed that he was wealthy because he postured as someone who was wealthy. So I was like, hey. I was 27. I said, I want to learn how to invest. You know, I bought the condo. I know how to save. I know how to budget. And I, I want to learn how to invest. I didn't want to ask my father because quite honestly, I knew he was going to tell me some dry, slow way. And I'm like, no, I want that fast money. Okay. <laughs> You're like, Your father's a CFO. I know. I know. Okay. But I'm glad for it because I wouldn't be here now. So I asked my friend to teach me how to invest. And he was like, sure. Rule number one, invest with other people's money. And I was like, okay, what does that mean? He said, do you have a credit card? And I did, but I was paying it off every month in full because that's what my dad taught me. I put gas on it, paid it off every month. And he was like, well, you know, what's the limit? I think it was like $10,000 or something. He's like, well, open up another and we're going to pull money off the credit card and invest with it. I know, I know. Yo, it's crazy. I mean, if I could go back, Tiffany, no, but whatever. So I didn't know. I had never even heard it was cash advance. I had never even heard of a cash advance before. So I pulled the money out, all the red flags going off. I'm literally at the bank. I can, I honestly can remember 
myself sitting at the bank, probably looking like 15, right? I'm, but at the time, I'm 20. And the bankers kept coming over. Are you okay? You sweat. Yes. Well, no, I was fine. And they're just like, is, is someone hurting you? It's, I was like, no. They're like, uh, you're pulling this money out? Are you like, it's, it's, you know, they were trying to figure out why is this young woman pulling all this money out? So you think I would have been like, huh, something ain't right. But I was like, mm hmm. And so gave him the money. So the plan was he was African, but he was born in, in, in Paris. And so he had all these supposedly stores in France and they were going to buy American goods, ship them over to the stores. And then I was going to get a cut of sales. It was supposed to be to the tune of $2,000 a week, which sounds so crazy for two years. So I was like, oh, we better be rich. So I took those credit cards that hadn't even, that had such good credit. They gave me such high limits. I said, well, you know what? While I wait for my money to roll in, I'm going to use this credit card. And I, I almost wish I would have used it more frivolously. So, but instead I really wanted, by then I realized I want to learn how to start a business. So I bought one of these online courses for $15,000. Cause you know, yes. Because it's like, I don't understand. Like, You've been so disciplined. Why are you why are you wilding out right now? I don't even know because I said, you know what? This Hold is my but don't be too strict with their kids. <laughs> were, were you in a relationship? No, no, no. I, I wasn't. No, well, no, I was, but not with him. I had a boyfriend that from from college, my college sweetheart. Were things going bad in that relationship? Um by then, yes. See, by like 26, 27. Mm -hmm. You're wilding out for no reason. I, mean, <laughs> I think I probably, by then, it was like 26, 27, we were breaking up because I knew that I wanted more out of life, you know, than what he wanted out of life for me. He wanted, like, he loved the fact that I was a preschool teacher. Like, oh, it's going to be home-cooked meals. You'll be home by 3.30 and all those things. I remember I used to have to, like, sneak to work on my dreams. And I remember by 26, I was like, yeah, I can't live like this. So oh, I oh, broke up. Mm -hmm. So then it was like, I guess and now, you know, I, I never made quite honestly that connection, Paul. And like probably by 27, I probably said, like, I want to do now I'm free. I can go yeah. big, you know, like, mm -hmm. yeah. okay. yes. Thank and you. so I gave him the money and he probably disappeared. But it took me months to realize that, well, he didn't really disappear. So um, let's just call him Jake. So we were talking. I'd be like, oh, Jake, you know how sales going? Oh, really good. Did you get your money? I'm like, no, well, let me just end it again. It was such a weird Cat and, game. Mm -hmm. okay. and then I, so for a year, you know, I was like, I'm going to get my money back hook or crook. I'm going to get my money back. So I refused to take responsibility. So I didn't pay down the debt. I just paid the minimums. I was like, I'm just going to pay the minimum. So I don't go into default with these credit card, with these credit cards, but, but he's going to pay me back my money. And I was taking that $15,000 course. I was, you know, it was like a, we would have like a weekly call, this coaching session. I mean, it was not a good course, but at least it started me on the journey of like what I didn't want to be in business. And so it wasn't until like, uh, so two, this is, this happened at 27 and 28. Like I said, I refused to take responsibility. And then 28, the recession hits and this is 2008. And I see all my friends losing their jobs. And I thought, well, not me because teachers just don't lose their jobs. You literally, you know? And so I finally decided the summer of like my, I was going to turn 29. I said, okay, when you go back to school, Tiffany, it was the summer, you we're going to start paying down this debt. Like, girl, it's not happening. He's not going to pay you back your money. And I was right. like, okay. Because I kind of, I, honestly, if I would have buckled down, I could have paid it off. Because by then I think I was making $55,000 a year. I probably could have buckled down, paid off the $35,000 in about two and a half, three years. And so 
three days before the new school year, I get a phone call. The school is closing. And I'm like, days before. Mm -hmm. And so now my plan to pay off this debt was gone because I didn't have a job. So now I've got this mortgage that I got at 26 or that I got at 25. I got, I have this um, student loan debt that I got at 20, 26. And I have this credit card debt that I got at 27. And, and, I, and, and how big is the credit card debt? $35,000. $35,000. from him and 15 from my business course. Um, and so I just remember being like, okay, I don't, I'm ill-equipped. I don't know what to do. I don't have, you know, like the little bit that I do know, I don't know how to manage this. And I remember calling my sister and I'm asking her, what does she think I should do? And she said, what's the worst case scenario? I said, well, I lose the house and um, I have to move back in with mommy and daddy. And she was like, well, why wait? And I was like, okay. So I started, I didn't want to tell my dad. So I told my mom. And so I was literally bringing home like a pillow, a lamp. And my dad was like, oh, oh." I'm like, that's storage. And then I brought my bed and he was like, wait, what's going on? I was like, I live back here now. <laughs> he was like, but he attributed him. Well, he thought he knew I lost my job. So he was like, oh, recession, she lost her job. This makes sense. I didn't tell him about the scam. Um, because I didn't want to tell him, like, I have a whole CFO here that I did not, you know, connect with to see if this was a good idea. And so I moved back home and I stayed home for a year. And as if as if it was like a comedy of errors. As if it couldn't get worse, I rented out my condo to another friend who proceeded never to pay rent. And I ended up having to pay my mortgage out of my savings, which is what I was trying to avoid by moving home. So I wasn't even living in my condo, still paying my mortgage. So much so I I pulled all the money out of my retirement account and to continue to try to keep the house alive until finally I didn't have it. And then I lost it to foreclosure. So it was just like, I can't catch a break. No, you can't. And and also, too, what I find interesting is, and I, th- I think I saw you mention this somewhere, where you are realizing you're 30 years old, mm-hmm. you are in complete, utter debt, yep. you have no income, and you're laying on the bed. My middle that, school bed. Your middle school bed. Mm-hmm. That, I mean, let's just go back to that place, mm-hmm. even though that's, that's not a nice place to go back to. Because there are 100% of us watching, listening, have been in a place of despair, Yeah. right? But oftentimes, many of us remain in that place of despair. Yeah. How did you build out of it? What did you have to do to get out of that and pivot yourself to, you know, the space <laughs> right now? But what were the steps that you made just to pivot ever so slightly out of that space of despair? Honestly, I it wasn't just, it wasn't me. I could not do it by myself. I was, the only other time that I was that level of sadness was seventh grade and I lost all my friends. And I was just like, life is not worth living. You know, like, cause you're so dramatic at that age. But honestly, I remember thinking, so this is my life now. You know, I didn't see a way out. I didn't see, oh, it's going to get better. It, it didn't, how can almost $300,000 in debt and no job get better? You know, like, I didn't know, you know, I did it. I was not equipped. And so I, it was depression, not clinical depression, but sadness, depression. I mean, like depression, like you're not wanting to take a shower, not wanting to eat, not wanting to depression. Cause I'd made all these mistakes and I was just like, wow. I was like, Tiffany, you're a loser. You're, you know, like, this is your life. You're 30 when you're supposed to be fully grown. Like, look at you, like just all the things. My, my, my high school boyfriend, my college boyfriend and I broke up. We were together like six, seven years. And it just seemed like everything was gone. And it wasn't until my best friend, Linda, 
who our parents are friends. And and so I like I always tell Linda, we've been best friends before we were even born. And so she was had been calling me, but I was avoiding her because I didn't want I had always been like Tiffany, the girlfriend who was good with her money, you know? And so I didn't want to tell anybody what was happening. Nobody knew. It was just me, myself, and I. And finally she broke through and she was like, girl, where have you been? I've been calling you for months. Are you okay? So I was gonna fake the funk like I had always done and be like, oh yeah, girl, I've just been busy. <laughs> and so, but something in me couldn't, I just burst into tears. And she's like, what's wrong? And I was like, I told her everything. How I lost the condo, or I was losing it, how the credit card scam. I told her, you know, I'd lost my job. I told her everything. And she started laughing. Like I can literally hear Linda's laugh now. And I remember thinking like, what's so funny? I failed. To, I think I said, I failed to see what's so funny. And she was like, uh, welcome to everybody else's life, Tiffany. We've been broke. <laughs> <laughs> Like what? She was like, Tiffany, like all of our 20s. She's like, have you not been listening to our friends? We have been struggling with credit card debt. We have been struggling with student loan debt. Like you are literally the only one that had some sort of financial order in your life. And she was like, you just sound literally like everybody else. And it's a recession. She's like, I thought you killed somebody, girl, the way you was hiding out. And so I had such a good laugh with her. But it made me like get out of my own funk. And it was a lesson that I learned now that I still learn today that when I'm in a funk, typically it means that I've been watching the Tiffany show too long and I need to change the channel. Mm. It's all Tiffany, 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 Tiffany. And I'm like, mm. oh, you in that funk? Okay, because you're thinking just about self. So I really learned that Linda, because what it forced me to do was to look around and say, you know what? She's right. That there are other people who yeah. are experiencing similar, if not worse, circumstances and that I am not alone in this. And what it allowed me to do is to say, if I'm not alone in this, then I'm not a terrible person because these people are not terrible people. And it allowed me to forgive myself. And so that's what I needed. That was the pivotal Mm. moment that I needed to share my deepest, darkest secret with someone who I trusted and loved. And they needed to love me still. And it it gave me the permission I needed to continue to love myself and forgive myself. Wow. Is Linda Nigerian? Yes, she is. (laughs) Everybody needs a good Nigerian friend. I'm telling you, that, that is the secret to success. That is the secret to life success. You must have Nigerians in your circle. That's it. Right? So so now you realize you're not alone. And then I would imagine that's also the trigger to say, okay, there are other people that must be going through this. How can I help them? Mm-hmm. How do I change the Tiffany channel? I said, because at the end of the day, Tiffany, is this not the basics that you learned at home? It's living below your means. And I was on unemployment. It's saving what you can, strategically and systematically paying down debt. It was it was the foundational core I learned at home. And I was like, why are we not doing that? Got you. Got you know, you. why are we not doing that? So I went back to the basics. And so as I was doing the basics and things for myself, friends would ask me, hey, Tiff, can you help me? And I'm like, well, I'm a mess too. So they're like, yeah, but you're less of a mess. And I'm like, okay. So- Literally every weekend, I would meet up with a friend and help them with the budget. So as I was working on mine, I would help them with theirs. And what I learned and what everyone should know is that when you teach, you learn twice. Mm. So I was mm. re-solidifying the lesson. Every time I met with somebody, it was like, more lesson for Tiffany, more lesson for Tiffany. And then I would meet people who had different situations or circumstances, and it would force me to learn something new to help that person. Okay. So at this time, though, you're not, you don't have income coming in at this point. No, just, just um, unemployment. Just unemployment. 
did you begin to think of the Budgenista brand at this point? Did you think of this as a business opportunity or were you just, just helping friends? Mm -hmm. Just help. See, this is interesting. Mm -hmm. You were just helping. Yep. You were solving a problem. You were like, let me just solve it. I don't, I'm not thinking of a business model. Mm -hmm. Because I didn't even, I couldn't conceive of how could me sitting down with you, with your budget, be a business model. So it wasn't even something I thought, because we were literally, we're in rough seas and I have a life jacket on and I'm not thinking, I should sell life jackets. I'm like, just like, come on, get on my back. We're going to get to shore. So it was crazy times, you know, the, the, the great recession. And so I wasn't thinking of it. And so until 2010, because my unemployment was coming to an end and I was like, I got to start thinking about something. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And so my friend, another friend of mine said, well, why don't you start charging for these one-on-ones? And I was like, um, okay. So because I used to babysit, I used to tutor. So I pulled out like all my old teacher things to like make money on the side. And by then I had not lost my apartment, my condo yet. It was on the, it was on the way out. It, at this point, the bank um, wouldn't even take um, my mortgage payments anymore because I couldn't make the full mortgage payment. So oh. they're like, well, if you can't pay us the, I think my mortgage was like, uh, I want to say 1600 or something like that. If you can't pay us the 1600, like I think I could afford 1200. That's what I was charging my new tenant who was actually paying. If you can't pay us the 1600, then um, we won't take it. I said, well, you know who needs the 1200? Me. So my tenant was paying 12 and I said, well, I'm losing the condo anyway. It was, yep. So as, as unemployment was phasing out, then the, the, the condo money was coming in, but 1200 is not really enough to sustain yourself as an adult. Now, so this is me at 30, you know, make it $1,200 a month. And, um, and so she said, you know, why don't you do these one-on-ones? Still living at home too. So yes, I was transitioning from living at home to, um, I stayed on my sister's couch. Got you. Got you. So you don't have your own place, right? So this is interesting. So you start your business without a home. Mm-hmm. I mean, at this point, right? You're, you're in between homes. Yep. So now when you started the business, what was your vision for it? Where, where did you, like, what was your, if I would, if we could go back to 2010, and I was like, all right, you getting ready to start this business at its highest, at its biggest point, what do you think it's going to be doing in revenue? Or what, 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 what did you think? If I can make $1,000 a month, that was my only goal. I wasn't worried about none of this other stuff, none of this forecasting. Because I figured with $1,000 a month, a friend of mine told me about, she was living in this uh, really beautiful um, brownstone, downtown Newark. And um, the woman who owned it was renting out by room. Newark is a college town. A lot of people don't realize that. There's like Rutgers, Seton Hall. So you'll find a lot of college living, you know? So it's, uh, it's not uncommon for people to rent out, you know, like a beautiful home by the room for college students. And so a friend of mine, who was a teacher was like, I just found this beautiful brownstone. It's right downtown. She's renting out each room. Like, you know, cause I used to, I met that friend through volunteering. She's like, what if we could fill it with like women like us? And it was 500 bucks a month. And I remember thinking if I can make a thousand bucks, 500 to a thousand bucks a month, I can afford to get off this couch and, and have at least my own room for the first time in like two or three years. And that was my only, that was it. That was it. Mm-hmm. That was the vision. Yep. That, that was, was- <laughs> <laughs> See, that was extraordinary money. Yes, uh, yes, I was like, just make a thousand dollars a month. That would be enough because I'm like, well, I make it twelve hundred from the from the from the um, you know, my my apartment and my condo, and the twelve hundred plus thousand, that would be twenty two hundred dollars a month, 
And that's enough to like start paying bills again because I had I wasn't paying anything really. And so I'm like, it'll be enough to start paying bills again. It'll be enough to, you know, just start to figure out what am I going to do? Because I like at that point, it's just hand to mouth, you know, like literally going to events to say like they have food. Oh, I'm going. There you go. You know? See, that was the see, that's fascinating, right? So this is 2010. Yep. Start the business a thousand dollars. So that's twelve thousand a year. Mm-hmm. To the only goal, twelve thousand a year, right? So now let's just leapfrog mm-hmm. to one hundred thousand. When at what year did you make your first one hundred thousand? The year I made my first one hundred thousand, I think I was I wanna say I was thirty three. Okay. And so thirty three, yes. Yeah, so that so about three years later. Mm-hmm. Years later. Mm-hmm. Now between the I'm making no money, so I'm making a hundred thousand. What do you, if you had to just distill it down to just one, you know, massive thing that you did? What was that one thing that you did in that time? I built community. You built community. So break that. What does that mean? I so, think I know. So Beyonce has the beehive, right? I have the dream catchers, and I. I did a lot of, so my first contract I got, I was 30. That's That was the year I was like, I got to make you know this money just so I can get this room. I got a contract with the United Way to write financial literacy curriculum and to teach it. And it was okay. paying about $1,000 a month, give or take. Um, and so I said, okay. So as I was teaching- Yeah, you, you hit gold. Yes, I did. One thing, I, one thing about me is that, because I used to tell myself, which is so crazy. You have these weird things you tell yourself. I used to tell myself that I was lazy. Because I live in, like, my my sisters are super high achievers. My dad is a super high achiever. And so I am i didn't think of myself as a high achiever. But what I learned, just even from my parents telling me about me, is that if I like a thing, if I'm passionate about a thing, can't nobody beat me in that thing. So it wasn't that I wasn't a high achiever, but I need to be connected to the thing or I'm not doing it. Like, I'm just not. There's no, I don't care. You can spank me. You can whatever. It ain't happening. I don't like that teacher. I'm not getting an A. Oh, I like her A plus plus, even though it's mathematical statistics that I know nothing about it. You know, so once I, you know, I got so once I realized, like I, I did still love teaching. Like there was nothing. The I look back at the types of things that I used to do, and I'm like, Yo, Tiffany, you were a beast. Like I, I worked for the like I created this curriculum for the United Way. I had never written curriculum before, although I'd learned how and when I got my master's, but I'd never written one. So I wrote, I learned to write curriculum, learned to write that proposal, taught that class. And then I learned to market. Even though I went to school for marketing, I had never had to like use it in real life. But the United Way, my first cohort, it was a six week series. It was only five people that the United Way had brought in from the community. And I thought to myself, if more people don't come, they're not going to pay me next time around. So I said, can I invite people? They said, sure. So I hit Facebook up. There was no Instagram. Twitter was around, but it wasn't used in that way. And even Facebook wasn't used in that way. So what I did was there was no Facebook business, Facebook groups. I changed my name on Facebook to Tiffany, the budget needs to Aliche. And I started doing a tip of the day every single day. I mean, one like, two like for a full two years. I don't care how many likes I did. It forced me to think of financial tips every day. And then also I started to market, hey, have this free class at the United Way in Newark. You want to come? First yeah. cohort, five people, then 10, then 20. Then somebody from Arizona said, I want to come. I'm like, I'm not in Arizona. Somebody from Ohio, somebody from Florida. So my, all of a sudden I'm learning to market and people are seeing, because I would take pictures of the class, show how much fun we were having. And um, all of a sudden it went from five people to 50 to 100 people to a waiting list to get 
into the Saturday class. All right, pardon the interruption, guys. I just want to spend a moment to thank Switch and Board. It's a podcast studio in Washington, D.C., owned by a good friend of mine. And if you like the production quality of this podcast, if you like this track as much as I do, which I love it, it's all thanks to them. Now, Switch and Board specializes in podcasters like me and you who are busy. We travel a lot because not only have they mastered in-studio production, guess what? They've mastered remote podcasting production. That's right. So you could be anywhere in the world and Switch and Board has you covered. Now, if you want to learn more from Switch and Board, I want you to go to paulcbrunson.com backslash studio. That's S-T-U-D-I-O. And let me put you on. And now, back to the show. This, this is incredible. But two, two questions that are like, my mind is like, oh, my God. Right? Budgenista. That's brilliant. Literally, to this day, I think more people know Budgenista than Tiffany Alice. Like, yeah, that's, that's our part. <laughs> so, 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 so that that's one. But then, secondly, mm-hmm. the consistency in in the content. No matter what the engagement was, you're still consistent, right? Yeah. If someone's listening, right, watching, and they and they're they're now in the midst of trying to build out their brand, a lot of people debate between their name versus the Budgenista, a separate name, right? Why did you go with Budgenista, but include your name? So I went with Budgenista because when I first was starting Budgenista, so I I registered in 2008 because I always did a lot of volunteer work and financial education was something that I talked to the parents at the school. And I remember thinking like, I'm I'm someone who was like, I, I have a lot of energy so I remember thinking, like, I want to do more volunteer work. Oh, I don't know what to do with my time. And so I was like, you know what? I love teaching financial education. What if I volunteered and did this in this community? This is when I was still a teacher, still gainfully employed. And so I, I told, I asked my sister, because I, I, I wanted to teach at schools. I asked my big sister, Lisa, I think was in college at the time. And I said, what should I call myself? Because I don't want to go into schools as Tiffany Alicia, maybe something fun. And she was shaking. <laughs> Baby, baby Lisa said, oh, you know the fashionista? I was like, yeah. She said, she dressed real cute. I was like, oh, I think so, yeah. She said, that's not you. But you're cheap. You should call yourself the budgetista. And I was like, <laughs> whatever. But I had already looked at budget diva, budget queen. But So I, I typed those in and those were taken. And budgetista, I was like, it's not. The truth is budgetista is actually a mistake. Because really, it should be budgetista. That last letter is supposed to le- lead what the Easter part is supposed to start with. But because fashion nista starts starts with an ends with an N. Right, right. So now I was like, oh, someone asked me before, like years later, why is it not budgetista? I'm like, you know what? (laughs) So it really stuck. But you know, as I was promoting myself forward, I just remember thinking that I wanted a business that like was more than just this. I didn't know other things that I wanted to enfold into it. And so I didn't necessarily want my name. I wanted something, I don't know, something engaging and fun. And, and truth is, Tiffany is a common name. But once you hear Budget Nista, I don't care if it's 10, 20, 30 years ago, you never unhear it. Yes. And so I just remember thinking it was just a really good marketing tool for me. Brilliant. I think that that's I think that's one of your most well, I can't even say one of the most, because you made so many brilliant moves. But that the consistency of the content also, I think that's incredible, right? So yeah. we're 2013, a hundred thousand in sales. Your mind is probably blown at this point. 
I'm, I'm sure you have a condo at this point, too. No. no. I was still in that room. You're still living in the room. Still living in a room, still driving my 99 Toyota Camry that I had from when I was in my 20s. Yep. Wow. Nothing had changed externally okay. because I wanted to pay down this debt. Okay. I wanted to, I was determined to grow something bigger than just what was just before me, just enough, you know? Okay. Because something, a fire flicked on me, in me and I realized, oh, this could really be something, something. Mm. Like more than just I can pay my bills, more than just I can make more than a professor. This could be something, be something. Was that around the $100,000 time? Yeah. That's when I started to realize like, hmm. All my friends then were like, Tiffany, why do you still live in this room? I'm like, I was, I was reinvesting all of my money back into the business. Like I said, I, I was paying my bills. I paid down my debt. By then I'd lost the house, but I was credit card debt free. Mm-hmm. I paid that off. Student loan debt. I realized that like I could pay the student loan debt aggressively or I could aggressively invest in the business and put my student loan debt in forbearance. So I did that. But yeah, no, I, I stayed in that house until I was 34. Wow. Okay. So, so now, now walk me through. So now we're at, we're at a hundred thousand in sales, right? Mm-hmm. I think the next big jump for a lot of, uh, you know, entrepreneurs is, is half a million, mm-hmm. right? Cause it's like, I'm almost at a million, mm-hmm. right? So what year did you hit half a million in sales? I would probably say that next year. So 30, probably the beginning of 33. It was, uh, you know, and then by 34, it started to really uptick. It was because also too, 34 is when I met the Brill. So it's either 34, 35 is when, so 34, the half a million because 35, hmm, I'm trying to think, when did we start the academy? We started the academy when I was 36. So 36 is when I hit a million. So 35, about half a million. Okay. So this is fascinating, yes. right? You spent the three years to just get to a hundred, and then all of a sudden, a year later, you're at five hundred thousand, mm-hmm. and then a year after thirty four, you're at a million yeah. almost. So, so, so it's like hockey stick growth, right? Yes. At that point, just before you met Jabril, right? Who now I'm gonna call Jabril the Rainmaker, <laughs> right? Just, just before you met Jabril, what was that one thing that you did in that year that you think? most catapulted you from 100,000 to half a million in sales? So Jabril is what helped me catapult to half a million. But what catapulted me to, I guess, 100,000 was I actually started charging. I was doing these one-on-ones that I didn't take money for because people really didn't have it after we finished. I decided to take my, my, my in-person class and bring it online. And I created something called the Live Richer Challenge. That was also a pivotal moment. I didn't know it then. You know what? That's not true. I did. Something said, this is, this is big. So I reached out to all the big financial brands, all these magazines, all these places to help me launch this literature challenge. Help me take this in-person class that I've seen that's transformed people's lives. Help me take that and help me make it digital. Nobody said yes. So I scraped together like over the year, $10,000. So it was like 500 here, 200 there. If I, if I can jump in there, mm-hmm. I, that's interesting to me because so you had the idea for the challenge, mm-hmm. went to all of the top supposedly thought leaders and experts mm-hmm. running inst- these organizations, right? Newspapers, et cetera, to, for help. And they all tell you no. Yeah. So what, what was it that told you, no, keep going? There's a fire in me. There was this thing that was like, they're wrong. They're wrong. And there's something here. So I, I've gotten that there's something here maybe five times in my life, and it's never, ever, ever, I'll bet the house on it. 
Like yeah. that was like like the my first book, the one week budget that I wrote. It's what really kind of like kicked off the the one week budget was like a notebook. When I used to help my friends the one on ones, I started keeping all the notes and the steps and the order in a, in a notebook. And it just got to be so raggedy. I was like, you know, I should turn this into a book. Like, but I self published it. I just uploaded it to Amazon's um, backend, which was called Create Space. I self published it, and then. I was like, that's what I used to help my friends. And so I knew with the one week budget, I got that. This is something here. I, I tell, I, something told me the one week budget was going to make me a millionaire. I thought I was going to sell a million books, Mm-mm. but it sparked the budget Nista, right? Mm. So with the literature challenge, when I tell you the voice was so clear, they're wrong. They're wrong. And I can either wait for them to realize it or I could do it myself. And mm. I didn't even know how to do it myself. But every day, Google is your guru. I ask questions. I, I I remember I was like, I used to do this thing. Facebook doesn't let you do this now. But every day I used to have a list called like things to do today. And one of them was friend, send a hundred Facebook friend requests. So literally I would, because I wanted people to, to hire me to speak. Right. So I would like look at your picture, be like, mm, this looks kind of headshot. It looks like they work for an organization. Because I wanted you to see my post of me out here doing my budgetista thing. So I would send you a friend request. If you accept it, I would go through your friend list and look for other people that look like they might work for a company that might hire me. <laughs> click, click. Literally, that was my homework to myself. And so because I wanted, that was marketing for me. I wanted people to see me being me. You know, I yes. wanted people to see Tiffany, the budgetista, Alicia. At the very least, even if you deny my friend request, you don't see the name budgetista. <laughs> so I tell you, yo... <laughs> I think that's probably that's probably where we connected. Yeah. Was right. <laughs> Literally, I a good friend that my my good friend Mark is one of my best friends. He, when we first met, I remember he was like, "How do I know you?" I was like, "I don't." And he was like, "But you're friends with all my high school friends." I was like, "Yeah, I don't know them either." One of y'all let me in, and I didn't friend the whole friend group. I was just like, mm-hmm. "Oh my god!" Was was this right around the time when you started going heavy on interviews? Because you know when I talked about how you have more interviews on YouTube than anyone I've ever seen. I'm not joking. Mm-hmm. Like you have more interviews than anyone I've ever seen. Was that right around the same time that so, you're? Yeah. Having- I started doing interviews probably like I want to say two th- um, when I was 31, so 2011. Just really going really hard because with interviews, see, I had my my best friend at the time. She was my publicist, and so she used to practice on me. So because she was just starting her business and was like, "Oh, tell me do this thing." I'm like, "Okay." So. But I was practicing, like, because for me as a teacher, and I wanted to really become a good speaker, you have to learn how to tell the same story in two hours, 20 minutes, two minutes. And so I would use interviews. That's why you see such a wide range. I would use interviews to practice. So like Dave Chappelle might go to like a small, you know, hole in the wall comedy show to practice before he hits that HBO stage. It's like the first time I meet Oprah, uh, I need to be ready. You know, and so I was like, so that's what I was doing. A lot of that was like me practicing. Sometimes there were videos. So it's like practicing sitting. I tend to have a fast cadence when I speak. So even practicing, I would watch them back and I would critique myself. Like, this is my natural cadence right here. This is how I normally talk. But I know that's too fast. So I'm very conscious even now as I'm speaking to you, if we were just like chatting, chatting my normal self, way, way, way faster. <laughs> you don't get that like from one or two times. You get that hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of times. And so that's why you see so many interviews because I was practicing. This is this is phenomenal, right? So you are conscious about building your brand. Mm-hmm. You're building out community. You're making sure that your presentation in terms of your cadence, et cetera, is, 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 is you know, on fire. Mm-hmm. You're also 
in the business yeah. as well. So the live with her challenge, like I said, my goal was to get 10,000 women signed up. So okay. by um, January 2015 is, or January 2015, yes, it's when it launched. And I got my 10,000. This is, like I said, before I met Jabril, but it took me a whole year because I did everything organically. Um, okay. And so that's the thing that nobody wanted. But I, I grew it. I did it. I built that audience. And by the end of 2015, I had 20,000 people signed up. And now Interesting. over 900,000 people have done one or more of my challenges. So the ch the challenge is a is a service, right? You're selling the challenge. No, totally free. Which every told me I was crazy. It's a it's a email course. It is a daily task that I send you. So the challenge is my in person class in online. So you sign up, and when we do it live together, the lessons come to you, and then I walk you through live. When we do it in, in January, every January I do a, a live version. But if you were to sign up now, let's just say you go to literaturechallenge.com and you choose one, you choose the net worth edition. The next day, you're going to get a task. You're going to get a welcome. Welcome, Paul. Today's day one. We're going to talk about your net worth goals. Here's everything you need. Here's the goal sheet. I mean, I darn near come through the computer, give you a pen. It, mm. I preschool teach you through a full month, three weeks of step-by-step -step guidance to raise your net worth, which is to lower your debt and increase your, your assets. And so that's what we, that's how the challenges work that we have a net worth edition, a home buying edition, a credit edition, a savings edition. So the first mm. one was the fundamentals. And so people, I, people underestimate how much people want to be handheld in new things. And so I literally am preschool teacher, Tiffany, walking you through. So what took me to that hundred thousand was my first book, the one we budget sold maybe a few hundred copies. And I was like, dang, I thought this was supposed to make me a million. I was pretty sure that the, the feeling told me. The second book, The Literature Challenge, was not supposed to be a book. I had poured so much into my community. Before the challenge came out, they said, is there going to be a book version? I was like, why would you want a book version when it's free? Just go online and sign up. And they're like, people are like, one, I want to I wanna support you. I never thought of that. And some people said, I'm not necessarily a computer person. I want something. I'm a tactile learner. I want something in my hand. So I was like, okay, I'm just going to put the blog post in a book. So I did. I got a young kid. You know, gave him 300 bucks. He put put it in the book version, uploaded it to Amazon, and I sold $10,000 worth the first month. I was like, <laughs> I didn't believe it. I was like, what? $10,000. So that $10,000 I invested in the challenge a year before came back yeah. to me the first month of, of the literature challenge. And now all of a sudden I have this community. And because I did the, the literature, um, because I did, I work with the United Way. And, and all of those students used to email me all the time. Facebook groups just came out. I was like, okay, these emails are overwhelming. I created a group. If you guys have questions, you in-person people, meet me here in the group and ask them here so I can answer one time for everyone. So when wow. I launched the challenge, people from the challenge found the group and kept trying to add themselves. I was like, black, black, no. And then finally a light bulb went on. I was like, wait, yes. So I started allowing people, not just people who were in my United Way class, who took my literature challenge to join the Facebook group. And it was 5,000, 10,000, 20,000. Now we're 450 or 60,000 people in this Facebook group. And so Incredible. that community is what transformed all the things. So that literature challenge, remember I said, I got that feeling, this is going to change everything. It yes. did. It, it took me from, you know, someone who is passionate about teaching financial education to the small group to a, one, a leader in this space, especially as it relates to African-American women. Yeah. So, so this is, this is 
I think also illustrative of how perfect your partnership with your girl is. Because you're bringing, you already had the passion around teaching, you had the curriculum, you're already building the community. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like Jabril came came on and he was just like gas to your fire, Literally. right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So basically, you connect, you were doing what, half a million before you met Jabril? Uh, no, I wasn't. I was doing about, uh, I was doing about 100, 150,000 before I met Jabril. Okay, 100, 150,000. Mm-hmm. And we fast forward only five years later and you're doing over 10 million mm-hmm. right so so i mean that's pretty fast growth right there right i mean <laughs> when, you so, think, when you say it that way because at the time it just seemed like forever like we'll always be in this position but i didn't realize there were so many ways to monetize what i had built the relationships that i built and so no, that's, yeah that's one thing i learned from jabril how to monetize and we're still we haven't even we probably monetize not even five percent of what we can See, t- 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 I-, I know some drug dealers that wish they could have that type of growth. Like that's that's some for real growth. So just between, so so j- hit us with just three quick things mm-hmm. that you believe Jabril the Rainmaker has has changed your business to help you go from a hundred thousand mm-hmm. five years ago to over ten million in sales today. One to monetize. Like I I did not monetize my influence. So something as simple as Tiffany, you like that bank? You know they're paying twenty five dollars for every person that signed up. I was like, what? But I just sent them three thousand people. Yeah, just lost out on seventy five thousand dollars. Something that range. I was like, so learning one just to monetize. I had not. I was sharing these resources with my audience, and I didn't realize that sometimes they're affiliate links. Sometimes they're just public. You just grab it and share it. So that was one. Two to think bigger. Jabril, I'm like a slow and steady wins the race. And Jabril is a huge thinker. Like to him, you know, 10 million is nothing. He's like, yo, we get into 100 million. I'm like, okay. So, <laughs> so he has this like, he like is like a time traveler. He travels to the future, sees this huge idea and brings it back to the rest of us. So that's something else that I learned from Jabril is to, is to think bigger. And three, I learned that you have to spend money to make money. And, you know, because my natural inclination, I literally am the budget needs to on the inside, you know, is that, okay, how can we be a little bit more careful? So we balance each other out because Jabril is definitely zoom, zoom, zoom. And I'm definitely like, okay, okay, okay. So it's a good balance. Um, But that indeed that you you do have to spend money. Like I said, we just hired a business coach. They were not cheap. It was $70,000 for two months. But Mm. we will see that return in less than a week. You know, yes. so learning, but I've learned that lesson. So that the business coach was my idea, which normally wouldn't have come for me to spend a significant amount of money to learn how to do things better. But I understand that, you know, um, spending money on value um, brings that value back, you know, tenfold. And so those are yes. the lessons I learned from him. Yeah. You, you know, how has your life, your personal life changed? Because you mentioned that you, you know, you, it sounds like in the midst of all of this, like, you found the love of your life, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. So, wh- how, how did you balance that? Because a lot of entrepreneurs have a tough time, you know, r- just spending enough time on their business. But you, because I guess because you've been the budgetista on the inside, you broke it all down. You're like, I can spend this much time on my business, but this much time on my. So, so how how did that happen? When when did you meet your husband? So I knew of him when I used to teach preschool because he actually was like he worked in the building where my preschool. So I was like, oh yeah, yeah, I remember that guy. And then at 30, 
Facebook was like people you may know. And I was like, oh, yeah, I remember him from my preschool days. Let me see if he's single because he wasn't then. And I was like, oh, he is. So I hit him. I was like, oh, hey, I don't know if you remember me. Preschool teacher from the building where he used to work. Because I think it was his birthday. And I think Facebook was like, wish him a happy birthday. I was like, oh, I just wanted to wish you a happy birthday. I owe you some ice cream. And he was like, how about this week? I was like, oh, okay. Uh, so hold on. So just to be clear, though, so you approached him. Yes. So okay. but he was like, I've been had a crush on you from when in our 20s when we you used to, you know, teach free school. I was like, oh, okay. And so we went out for ice cream and he was really serious. He was like, you know, I really like you. I, I could see marriage and this and that. I was like, I'm still sleeping. Like, you know, I'm just getting off this couch. And so I honestly said, no, I was like, I, I, right now I want to put my energy and focus toward my business. So it didn't go anywhere. Mm -hmm. And so from 30 to 34, I put everything, all my time, my energy. Like I dated a little bit, but super casually um, because my, the budgetista was my, was everything. And then at 34, I remember looking up because by 34, to your point, I, I think probably maybe by then, maybe I was at 250 a year. Um, and I just remember thinking like, okay, you're, it's all, you're going to be successful, Tiffany. Like it's stamp. We're here now. Um, it's only growing bigger, but how will you meet it? I always ask myself that, that, you know, that success is yours. Like if you're, you put in a certain level of work in a certain way, like I already know, like, uh, you know, $10 million a year is going to be small potatoes 10 years from now for us. I'm not worried about that. I don't, you know, I, I know the formula. I know the work. I know all of that. But how will I meet it? Will I meet it healthy? Will I meet it happy? Will I meet it whole? And at 34, I realized at this rate, you know, I, you know, I'll likely be healthy, you know, but will I be happy and whole? You know, will, is there, there's other things beyond just literally I would work morning, noon and night. There has to be something else. I would have these huge, like, oh my gosh, I'm I'm on this magazine. Oh my gosh. And I would come home to the room and be like, dang. Like literally, I would come home to the room with an award that I just won in my hand and being like, Yay, me in the room. <laughs> and so I asked my uh, friend, a girlfriend of mine who was married, I said, What should I do? You seem happily married. And she was like, You don't make any space. She's like, you work really hard in the budgetista. Are you working really hard on this side of your life? Have you made space in your life for someone? You know what? I started to actually make physical space because I said I wanted to be really intentional. So I used to like physically, I was like, I'm cleaning out this side of my closet. I'm sleeping on this side of the bed just to give myself a visual because I'm a visual person. I always have vision boards. And I was like, just to give myself a visual of I'm creating physical space. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm breaking today and I'm going to go outside to the park, creating space in my schedule. And then what happened was I was on TV or something and my now husband messaged me, was like, oh my gosh, I just saw you on TV. And I was like, because I was already making a list of all the guys I dated and what I wanted, what I didn't want, what I needed. Because a friend of mine said that, um, you know, you could have your big long list, but what are your core things that you truly need? And I said, you know what? I need someone who's intrinsically kind, like not just nice to me, but nice. You know, nice. I, I dated guys who were nice to me. And then when things go wrong, they're not, not so nice to me, but someone who just is like a nice person. Right. So intrinsically kind. I wanted someone who was supportive because I also dated men who I couldn't be my full go getter self that had to dim my light so they could get dinner on time. So I wanted somebody who was fully supportive. And then I wanted somebody who like really loved me, not like the things I could do or bring to the table, but, but just like, Regardless of, you know, preschool teacher Tiffany or business owner Tiffany, 
like like truly like I, I remember wrote on wrote and I know I remember what I wrote. I wrote I want a sureness of love, like the kind mm-hmm. of love that you have with your parent. That like you know your mama love you. You get on her nerves. You do all she you know you're like hey you still love you. she's like you know I still love you but I'm gonna beat you when I see you next right <laughs> so I wanted that sureness of love not this conditional love where it's like oh I didn't do the right thing or you know I was late on dinner or you know so support sureness of love and and intrinsic kindness just kindness from within and as I was making a list of like people I had dated I remember his name kept coming up over and over and I just remember like oh he was such a nice guy and dang I messed that up. Um, and then when he wrote me, like, oh, I just saw you on TV, he sent me an email and I was like, oh, yeah, like, you know, we should hang out sometime. And so we hung out again. And honestly, I'm the worst. My husband always reminds me of this because at the time I was still like half swagging off Budgetista. So I was like, you know, I remember last time, you know, you was a little heavy with it. I'm still trying to keep it light. And he was like, OK. And I was like, <laughs> two weeks in, I was like, I want to see my boyfriend. And I was like, so I don't want to keep it light. He was like, no, nah, yo, you said you want to keep it light. I was like. No, I don't want to keep it light. He said, mm, no, nah, I think you're right keeping it light. I said, okay, bye. And then he was like, okay, wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yeah. He said, wow. you are such a mess. What do you want? I was like, I don't want to keep it light. I really do like you. So <laughs> let's get back tomorrow. <laughs> so we dated and um for so 34, 35, you know, um, but well, we we dated and then in um and when I was when we were 36, same age, uh, we got engaged. Cause I kind of told him too. I'm not, you know, I'm not 26. So if this is not leading toward marriage, then I'm not here for that. And he yes. said, no, that's where I'm headed toward. He said, that's what I was headed toward when we were 30. But, you know, right. we weren't ready. Right. So, um, so we dated for two years. And um, I remember being like, where is my ring? And I remember, I remember giving him the ultimatum that like December 31st. He's like, what is that? I said, that's the day I packed my bags. He's like, Tiffany, you're so extra. I said, no, we discussed in the beginning that, after two years, it don't take a whole day to recognize sunshine. After two years, if we weren't getting married, then I'm still young enough to find me something cute. So if this is not mm-hmm. what you want, you have December 31st. And this is that's that'll be the end of two years. Meanwhile, what I didn't know, he's already bought the ring. So you know he's looking at me like she get on my nerves. <laughs> <laughs> I went on my I was going to he asked, I was going to France, uh, Paris with a friend of mine. We travel. Every year, because our birthdays are close together, we would go on a trip together, a girl's trip. And I was leaving for France, and he was driving me and Madeline to the airport when he was dropping us off. Like, he was stuttering. I'm like, what's the problem? He's like, uh, 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 uh. And he was like, when you go to France, I don't, uh, I, I don't, I want, uh, I'm like, speak, I gotta go. And then he just got on one knee. I was like, oh. meanwhile, here, me and my like airport, raggedy airport clothes. And we put the ring on the wrong finger because neither one of us knew what we were doing. And I remember Madeline turned around and was like, are you getting engaged? I was like, I think so. Wow. Yeah. Incredible. But he is, when I tell you, like, I mean, you can never pretend like your relationships are perfect because they're not. Certainly he gets on my nerves. I get on his nerves sometimes. But when I tell you, like, I'm not the greatest communicator as much as I talk. Um, I'm someone who struggles sometimes with sharing the the how I'm feeling when I'm not feeling good, you know, when I'm irritated or upset by something. He is such an amazing communicator. He brings out, honestly, the best in me. He is intrinsically kind. Like when I, we moved in together right before we got married and the neighborhood kids would knock on our door. It's, I call him Superman. Is Superman here? He said I could get the book for my bike. Is Superman here? He said I was going to get a dollar for every A on my report card. Is Superman here? He said he's going to be here. It's incredible. Just like, 
I mean, yeah, yeah. the, the yeah, he, Mr. Rogers. Yeah, I mean, he, he sounds incredible. And the fact that he's a great communicator, I think answers the big question that I have in my mind. And that is, is that, so, you know, you are the CEO of a business that's doing a lot mm-hmm. of, of revenue. He has a different career. He's not in your business. Not at all. And I would imagine you're you're making more than than he's making mm-hmm. significantly. That's that's a balance that a lot of people have a hard time with in relationship. How do you all manage that? Well, we decided early on because he was like, I want, especially when we moved in together, he said, I'm gonna continue to pay the bills and you can save and invest, you know, what you're making. And that's because I already live frugally, I said, okay. So literally I make 10 to 12 times more than what he makes. And so when we got engaged, I was like, yes. So that was our plan. It was that we lived off his income and we saved and invested mine. So people thought we were crazy. They're like, okay, so now you have a seven figure, your business, you're living in this small two bedroom apartment in what I call the halfway hood. Like the hood is on this side, downtown is on this side. Like Tiffany, you can live better, you could do better. You know, as far as like, you know, where you're living. But I was like, no, that this is our plan. And um, I remember even when we had our wedding, we went to Justice of the Peace and a friend of mine, Vonda, has a restaurant and um, she closed it down for us. And we had like a really small reception. My Nigerian mother, of course, was horrified because Nigerian weddings, a small Nigerian wedding is 200 people. That's small. Yes. So they were like, what is happening? Oh, what is happening? So they were already like, he's not a doctor. He's not a lawyer. He's not an engineer or pharmacist. And she, I remember mm. my mom asking me if I needed money, which I thought was hilarious. And, said, <laughs> um, and sure enough, the next year, the house that I'm living in now, the house I'm sitting in right now, we bought it cash. And mm. we renovated it cash. The house was a foreclosure. So we bought it for 180 and we renovated for 180 cash. Mm. Then mm. I found out like my mom wanted to retire early, but the thing that was stopping her was my parents' mortgage. They had finance, took money out to help pay for the baby's school. Right. And so uh, my sister, my little sister for her schooling. And I was like, well, how much is left on it? My dad said 120. I talked to my husband and we paid off their mortgage cash. Mm. And then that student loan, this is all within a year. That student loan that had been lingering, that $50,000 student loan, I was like, okay, finally, I'm ready. I had the money before, but I, pu- I kept putting it into the business instead. I said, I'm ready to pay it off. We pay that off cash. So oh. 80, 180, 120, 50. So when my mother was like, do I need help with money? Is that why I'm having a small wedding? I'm like, ma'am, take this mortgage and, and be good. <laughs> yes. And even still now, my, we send my mom and dad money every month. And we, his mom has passed away. We've, um, so we send his aunt Rhonda, who who took care of him. We send her money every month. We we actually spend more money helping our family than our own internal expenses cost us. And so, but mm. I said intrinsically kind. Could I be with a man? What if he said no? I don't want to give one hundred twenty thousand dollars to your parents. That's a significant amount of money. I'm not with it, you know. Yeah. Uh, but he was like, no. I wish I could have had this opportunity to do this for my mother. So, so I'm someone who I don't have to look like a thing. I actually want to be wealthy. I love the security of growing wealth. To me, the external component, that's cool. Like I remember when I finally got right, I literally, I want to say three years ago, I got rid of finally that 99 Toyota Camry. And people were like, really? Yes, I had a seven figure year business and a Camry that had a bad alternator. That was like, please start, please start. <laughs> and I bought myself, uh, at the time I was maybe three years old or two years old. I bought myself a 2016 Lincoln MKZ. Yo, I love that car. And I bought it cash. It was $22,000. I 
they wanted 26. I negotiated them down. I, was like, I got cash. And then a year later, my husband got his car and he bought that cash as well. So when I say we're debt free, you know, people say they're debt free, but they mean not my mortgage. No, no, no. We have two homes, this home, and we bought a, a tax lien or tax deed for the city. And we're renovating that also cash. So we have two homes, my parents' house, our cars, we not, not, not even credit card debt. I owe no one. And so this recession, this time around, we're in a different position because there is no job that can close on me because that's why I didn't want to go back to the classroom because I was a really good teacher and I still lost my job. And so, because I'm actually risk adverse. My, my natural nature is risk adverse. And so what the last recession taught me is that the real risk is betting on someone else, not yourself. Mm. So this time there is no job that can close. There is no house that can be taken in foreclosure. There is none of that, that I am um, internally self-sufficient and we are in a better position now than, than ever before. And we are, our net worth is seven figures. And so net worth for those who might be watching, you might not understand that really your net worth is what you own minus what you owe. Somebody can own $10 billion, but owe $20 billion. Their net worth yeah. is negative 10 billion, right? Yeah. There are people who are who appear to be wealthy, but their net worth, that number that really matters, they have no money, right? Yes. And so yeah. we own about like, I don't know, I guess collectively, last time I checked with my financial planner, maybe like 1.5 million, that's our net worth, right? And then we owe no one. So that means all of that is ours. And it just keeps growing and growing and growing. I mean, my aim is by the time we're 50, it will be um, eight figures, our net worth. We're well on our way to that. And so, yeah, I just- I gotta say this. Huh? I gotta say this. Do you, are are you a praying woman? I am. Okay. Can I just say, look look at God for one moment. Yes. I mean, it almost gives me chills when you said the last recession, because I just realized it was the last recession that you were at the lowest point of your life, mm -hmm. right? Business, you're in debt, no relationships. And now fast forward to this recession. Mm hmm and your life is beautiful. Yep, restorative, right? He will restore all that you've lost. Oh my goodness. Mm -hmm. Oh my. If you, uh, you are know, obedient, that is the key for me. Alignment for some people, you know, that's the word. Maybe you're, 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 you know, that's not your affiliation, but alignment is just obedience. I have learned that what God wants for me is greater than I could want for myself. Some of the things that, that are just even upcoming and pending. I'm like, this don't even make no sense. This is clearly not me. I, I'm not this smart. I'm not this talented. This is brought to me. And it is my job to be obedient and a good steward of my blessings. That the, the model that I live by, and this is something that my pastor taught me when I was in high school, that in every blessing, there's excess. So if you are beautiful, that is a blessing. Use that blessing. Enjoy it. Enjoy your beauty. But there's extra in that beauty. You are to use some of your beauty to help others. Oh, you're rich? That's cute. Great. Enjoy your riches. But there's excess in those riches. You are to use some of those riches to help others. Super smart? Awesome. Use it to get ahead at work. But also use your intelligence to do something that's in service to others. In every blessing, there's excess. And if you give from that excess, you will always be restored to more and greater and better. So Giving truly activates abundance. The more I give, the more I serve, the literature challenges are still free. People told me I was stupid to, to give away so much for free. It has built a platform where over a million women call themselves dream catchers. 
and and interact with me. And when I post something, they go up for it and have helped to create this eight figure a year business. I mean, uh, giving activates abundance, alignment, you know, obedience, um, giving. These are these are the, the tenets from which I live my life. In. I don't. That's why I say I'm not worried about the business component. You know, I am always asking myself, how will the next level of success meet me? That's what I focus on more now. The business stuff, that's great. But I want to be healthy, happy, and whole. I want to be a good daughter. I want to be a good wife. I want to be a good good aunt to my nieces and nephew. Hopefully one day I want to be a good mom. We're working on that now. And so like that's what matters most because when it's all said and done, I'm still Miss Tiffany. That's what the, the kids in preschool used to call me. That like I'm still Miss Tiffany. And the desire I had when I was 21 is the same that I have now is to teach and help and transform as many people as possible. Because through teaching, you live forever through your legacy legacy of service. And so that's always been my, my greatest desire. Tiffany, you're incredible. Oh, uh, thank you. And, 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 I, and I want to I say something in full transparency is that, it's funny, you, were, you said that a lot of people who connect with you don't know when you connected, right? I don't know at what point we connected. But I feel like it was 10 years ago, somewhere in that zone, right? You know, and, you know, you went on, you lived your life, right? I lived my, my crazy life, you know, and I remember just like every year I would, I would like the budgetista would pop on my screen. Like maybe I'm watching TV and boom, you're on the reel, you know, or maybe, uh, someone mentions, like someone retweets you, right? Or just every year I get a couple of blips, mm -hmm. right? But I did not know to the degree in which you have completely changed your life. Mm -hmm. I didn't realize the magnitude of the, you know, the success of your businesses. Cause let's keep it real. Like, you got five businesses out here. And I'm sure the next time we talk, it'll be 10, you know, <laughs> but, but I, I didn't realize that. I didn't realize how recent your relationship is mm -hmm. with your, you know, I, I didn't realize any of these things. I mean, just being here with you and hearing these things, I like, I feel enriched. Oh, like I, I really, like, I feel like I sat through a sermon at the same time. <laughs> you know? It was good. I, you know, I wish you all of the best. Thank you. And what I think I most love about you is that you've remained true and authentic to who you are from when you were Miss Tiffany, the teacher, you know, all the way through to today. You know, you're passionate about teaching and transforming the lives of others. And through you being a blessing to others, you have received incredible blessings. Thank you. You know, so, so thank you. I mean, this is, this was, this was, this was really beautiful. It really was. It really was. And just keep, you know, keep doing it, keep doing it. And I will say this too is, um, uh, you know, actually this is, this is the last thing I'll say is Jabril mm -hmm. had, cause you know, Jabril and I will go back and forth on, uh, on Instagram. And I said, Jabril, I'm working on this. I'm working on this podcast. I'm, I'm going to have you on. I'm going to have you on. He's like, all right, cool, cool. And I think he said, all right, so when? And I said, you know, I'm going to have you on. I'm going to have you on. Right. And so I interviewed a couple of people and, and he'll comment. And 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 I said, I'm gonna have you on. I'm gonna have you on. I am for sure having him on now as the follow up, because 
I think you two are like the dynamic duo. <laughs> I, re- I really do. Like, I, I love that. I love that. And uh, yeah, that's all I need to say. Thank you. No, thank you. And it's just, yeah. They, what is the African proverb? If you want to go fast, you go alone. If you want to go far, you go with others. So yeah, we are a collection of all those people who came before us, but also all those people who currently help us. And, you know, if you want to be open to that, it's, it's hard out here because people will say, no one's ever played you. Mm-hmm. I've lost money. I've been played, but you know, yeah. you, there are so many good people out there and I haven't, this is just from my Nigerian upbringing. I have this expectation of excellence for myself and for those who work around me. And once you elevate yourself to that expectation of excellence, people will either need it or you'll be able to weed them out. And so I can tell excellence because I bring excellence to the table. So if you cultivate that in you, you know, you're less likely to get played. So <laughs> there we go. That, there we go. You know what? I'm just going to end on that. Because that- <laughs> That is it. That is it. Thank you very much. Thank you. And there you have it. The phenomenal, what really we should call the first chapter in Tiffany the Budgenista's Aliche's life, right? Because she has many more chapters to go. But uh, I just feel good, you know, hearing her story. I just feel inspired. I feel motivated. Thank you so much, Tiffany, uh, for, for those incredible words. Now, you'll hear that we mentioned, really, Tiffany mentioned Jabril. This guy Jabril. Who's this guy Jabril, right? I am literally going to send Jabril. I'm going to slot into this man's DMs right now and see if we can get him on uh, for the next episode because I- I've got it here now. I mean, he's the rainmaker, right? He took her from basically, what was that, 100000 in sales to $10 million in five years? We must talk to Jabril. So let me see if I can get him on the next uh, session. But uh, until then, two things. is One, please make sure that you subscribe. Please make sure that you rate. Please make sure that you review. That helps us tremendously. So thank you very much for doing that. And then also, don't forget that the first 10 episodes are bonus sessions for you. These are the exact affirmations that I've been doing for the last five years. And, you know, the common theme that I'm hearing from all of our amazing guests is they were able to change their mindset. And as a result of changing their mindset, their life changed. And if you need help in changing your mindset, that's exactly what an affirmation is in place for. And that's exactly why I've given you these affirmations at the top as bonuses. So make sure you check that out. It's on all of the podcast platforms. That is it. Until the next episode, I wish you peace, love, and because I'm thinking about Soul Train and Soul. Take care.